Welcome to OECD Podcast, where policy meets people. Hello, and welcome to OECD Podcasts. I'm Shane McLaughlin, and today we're going to talk about how the social economy can help boost prospects for women. So let's start with some good news. OECD countries have made big strides in closing gender gaps in recent years. The gender wage gap has been closing, and women's unemployment is at a record high. Women tend to have better reading performance at schools, and there's a higher share of women than men among recent graduates. But, unfortunately, there's still a long way to go. Despite progress, only two-thirds of women are active in OECD labour markets. Those that are suffer lower employment rates and lower wages than men, have a lower share of self-employment, and when women do start a business, their firms are less likely to receive investment. And they are still underrepresented in public leadership roles as well. In 2023, only around one third of parliamentarians and ministers were women, and only 5% of mayors. So how can the social economy help? To discuss these issues, I'm pleased to be joined by Nitya Nangalia, who is a strategic advisor of Siwa Bharat, and Natalie Leshet, policy analyst at the OECD working on the social economy and social innovation. Nitya, Natalie, great to have you with us and welcome to OECD Podcasts. Start with you, Nitya. One of the big problems in tackling gender equality is breaking free from what we know as gender stereotypes that drive women into what have often been called pink-collar jobs. Now, pink-collar jobs include things like childcare, education, personal and household services, or social work. Nitya, how big an issue is that for you? Let me start with a fun fact from India. Um, Can you take a guess, Natalie, at how many people are in the unorganized sector in India? How many women? Just a random percentage. 80%? 80%. More than 90% women in India are still a part of the informal economy. Um, Interesting to say that uh, we believe all women are working. It's just that their work is not being accounted for. They are working at home and care roles, not being paid, not being recognized in the GDP, and mostly in the informal economy. Uh, When they do enter the formal economy, it's traditionally in roles which allows for them to manage their gendered care work responsibilities at home. Um, Even in SEVA, when we work with the largest groups of informal economy women, they're usually in agriculture as support labor to the men of the household, even though they cover 60% of the work that's happening over there. Uh, When it comes to going to the market and negotiating and getting money in the hands, that's when men come into place. So the part with the most drudgery, going to the fields, planting, is still held by the women. So uh, in context of uh, more developing economies, it's not just about pink-collar jobs as much as drudgery in work is held by women. And when you reach the formal economy, you see, yes, more women in teaching or uh, doctor professions, but those those again with the suitable working hours for women. Um, What it takes to get women outside, um, we learned through some of the hardest pilots that we tried. So I'll just give you an example. We started an innovation lab to get women in non-traditional jobs. And one of them was getting women in public transport. Some of the things that blow my mind when I come to Western economies is that public transportation, if you order a cab, you'll actually see a woman driving it. 
something I have never seen in India or maybe once. Uh, so we started getting women to explore alternative livelihoods by driving uh, e-rickshaws, uh, which are powered by uh, electric energy. Uh, getting them out of the house with this required changing all the mental barriers that ever existed. The policeman on the street told us that you are women, why are you driving? You should not be doing this. The men weren't okay with it. The women weren't okay with it. So getting women out on the streets for non-traditional jobs is not just a matter of training. It's a matter of mindset change around making that possible. Or or another is simply access to uh, the digital economy jobs where everybody talks about, oh, there are lots of jobs in digital economy. Women should go there. But... Um, Pre-COVID, only 18% women in India own smartphones. Every household has a smartphone, but women are not allowed to own it, which means that it's their usage is monitored by any male figure in the household because they're not sure what the women are using it for. How will you be included digitally if you don't actually have access to digital infrastructure? So again, during the pandemic, we started training girls how to use phones by first getting phones in their hands and then we just did a variety of fun workshops like teaching them how to use canva and the next thing we know they are social media influencers in their village and in their local towns Uh, or we taught them how to uh, use apps which worked in their context which means that it was available offline where internet connectivity isn't as good or it was available multilingual so it is no pressure of english speaking first to be able to access a simple thing like internet Um, And now they are in jobs and professions like grassroots research data collection. We are getting data about women's lives from them and not with the outside gaze of me going and asking them questions and then doing it. So this is what it takes, I think, to get women out into new jobs is to meet them where they are and design according to their realities and barriers rather than taking interventions uh, made outside in different contexts and just copying pasting it there. Thanks, Nitya, for unpacking um, some of those challenges um, in India, indeed, and uh, concerning pink-collar jobs. Natalie, over to you. Following on from what Nitya uh, was talking about, how does this link more broadly to women and the social and solidarity economy? Thanks, Shane. So what we know about women in the social and solidarity economy is that there are already very different, different, big differences in representation. So we know that more than two in five leaders in the social economy are women, almost two in three workers are women, and more than one in two volunteers are women. And at the same time, there is around one in three social enterprises that target women as beneficiaries. So you can see that there is some sort of a mindset change and those differences in the ways in which organizations uh, treat the question of women and gender equality. And a lot of them do what Nitya just explained a little bit. They co-design the programs with a focus on women's needs and they move beyond the stereotypes themselves in the roles that women can take, as well as in which areas of work they are active in. So it can go beyond care work. It can go beyond women doing care work for free potentially, but it can also like move beyond this notion of what we talked about pink collar jobs that are uh, very close to the home, often moving beyond this notion of pink, blue or white and uh, trying to see that there are some things that are not necessarily gendered. However, um, we can also see that it's not as rosy as it seems, right? So there's ways in which we could go even further and go beyond um, the notion of uh, pink colors and move beyond this pink, blue, white divide that's somehow gendered. 
And if you if you do that, you can see that um, you, within the social economy, women are still concentrated in areas such as personal and household services in some countries. So, for example, in France, you have 96% of the personal and household services in the social economy being delivered by women. And you need to go further and think about like areas where the social economy is potentially strongest and where you need to try and reconstruct the notions of like how you're gonna how you're gonna do that. So I think there there is ways in which the social economy is already tackling gender equality, but there's also areas where it's not as rosy and where more action, political action needs to be taken. Thanks, Natalie. I like your reference there to uh to Rosie and to Rose, indeed the French translation of um of pink. Uh but yeah, I mean many jobs in the social economy are themselves pink collared jobs. Um, I mean, the question now really is, does the social economy need to branch out? What do you think, Nitya? Branch out. Uh, I think uh, when you, it's very interesting phrase that you say branch out. And I would say build on it and say branch out to build bridges. Uh, something I noticed yesterday also uh, is that while we talk about intersection of social economy with the wider economy, how many representatives of the wider economy are actually present in the conferences where we are talking about integrating with the wider economy? Uh, it's something that I'm learning uh, right now. I've moved to the UK recently to study business so I can learn how to talk to the people. Um, uh, what what is What are their incentives? And something I learned from the impact investing world is that the definition of social enterprises that they have versus what the social economy has is different. Same terminology, different definitions. Um, while the EU region has the maximum number of cooperatives in the world, impact investors also uh, are is the most, uh, most active in the EU region, but they're highly unaware of the cooperative economy and the fact that they could actually channel funding over there also. So I would say by branching out, I would say that a deliberate effort to actually merge with the wider economy, get them in the conversations, that's a great place to start. Yeah, thanks Nitya for uh, digging into your experience of things like impact investment and talking about merging the social economy with the wider economy. Let's now talk about men. Um, let's uh, look, I mean, we, yeah, we've been looking at supporting women to move beyond pink collar jobs, but Natalie, over to you. Do more men need to get into these roles, in fact? I think if we want to break up this definition, this gender definition of what pink collar jobs are and blue collar jobs are and actually move meaningfully beyond those definitions, we obviously need to get more men into those roles. And there's a lot of political action that's already being taken to do that, to get men into social economy or to get men into care jobs. And there is campaigns like that of the NHS in 2018 and 19, where you have made uh, the visuals around those jobs in nursing more inclusive and more diverse and where you have taken into account men's experiences in those roles. And I think that's important also to go away from a narrative where uh, those roles might not be perceived as, as manly or stereotypically female. And in order to get more people into those jobs, I think that's one of the spaces. The other side is to improve job quality uh, in social economy organizations and in the roles more, more broadly to get more people into the space more generally. And I think that we have seen that often linked to that's linked to funding issues. So in the social economy organizations, temporary contracts and pay are often lower than in the wider economy across OECD countries. And in order to do that, we need obviously support measures from uh, country level, but also we need organizations that are in this space like SEVA, the one that uh, Nitya or 
talks about and Nitya comes from, uh, where we have about 2.1 million informal workers already, women workers in substructures organized there, and that helps them gain confidence, but also helps them enter into a formal labor force. And I think men uh, have an important role in that also as allies. And that helps women take on those roles, helps women develop confidence through the ways of working of the social economy and gain into that. And then I think the last step is also to get uh, the principles and the ways of working of the social economy and the social economy more broadly into green and digital sectors. We know from this OECD flagship uh, on green jobs that there is 28% of green jobs that are currently held by women, which is not a lot if you compare it. And we also know that about 6% of the workforce in the European Union is already the social economy. So if we allow ourselves to expand the social economy and to expand the principles of the social economy, such as more democratic governance that allows to give safe spaces, or go even further and talk about commitments, like what Nitya was talking about, committing 90% of roles in social economy organizations, we don't have to go as far everywhere, but committing a certain percentage of those roles to women, it can help increase gender equality through um, through that. And then if you invite them to go further and if you develop social economy organizations in spaces such as transportation or in green jobs and digital jobs through platform cooperatives, there can be a huge rise in gender equality through the, the principles and through the ways of working and through that number of women that they bring in. With all that, um, I invite you to read the report because we have much more that we're developing there. And I'm very excited that I was here today with Nitya to learn more from her. And I hope it's going to be exciting for you as well. Thank you, Shane. Yeah, cheers, Natalie. Absolute pleasure. That report, of course, is Beyond Pink Collar Jobs for Women and the Social Economy. Um, and that's the OECD report. And we'll provide links um, appropriately to that one. Nitya, last word to you. Indeed, um, we're looking at how governments can harness the power of the social economy to improve prospects for women. What's the one thing, in your opinion, they can do? Only one thing. Yesterday was allowed three things. <laughs> <laughs> well, three things if you like. <laughs> uh, I, would, um, I would start with uh, first talking about improving ease of doing business. Um, and by ease of doing business, we talk about basic things like regulation and compliance. If you want to involve, uh, which is for women everywhere from any context, make it easier to start a business to not the amount of time that is spent into it in licensing in the costs that are gone into it. Uh, but by ease of doing business, we also mean access to finance, which should be available. So uh, our recent research report with Microsafe Financial Services, which is due to be published later in the year, shows that banks in India are almost completely gender blind and they are not intentional about providing loans to women. Um, there are a lot of schemes which are available, but they are not really, the uptake for them are very, very low. Recently, however, the government of India has adopted in its draft policy a suggestion that we made, which is to create women-owned enterprise-specific funds. Uh, it's in the draft cooperative policy, and we are hopeful that it rolls out. So ease of doing business with a focus on our access to finance. The second is on developing social and physical infrastructure. Um, for women with the care work responsibilities that they have, how do you reduce the amount of time spent in taking care of water and sanitation needs, uh, but also build access to digital infrastructure so that they can actually enter the economy through the jobs that are available. And lastly, since you allowed me more, <laughs> is building a safe society. Um, a lot of the young girls who I speak with are going out to colleges. Uh, they are studying more and more. 
but because of the perceived unsafety uh, or actual uh, lack of safety in reaching workspaces or the context of the space that they might actually join a job in means that their family is not able to encourage them to go and take up jobs, which means more and more girls in India are getting educated and then they're falling out of the labor force. So until and unless we make it a safe working environment for everyone, uh, make street lights available, make buses available for girls to actually go out and uh, be safe in the world, uh, we will not be able to see an entry into the formal economy. Thanks so much to Nitya and to Natalie. That's unfortunately all we've got time for today. Nitya, thank you for your time. Natalie, always good to talk to you on OECD podcasts. Good luck in your continued work to improve outcomes for women going forward. Indeed, listeners, if you're interested in finding out more, you can see our full panel sessions on this issue around the social economy at the link in the uh, address uh, for this podcast. You can also find out more about OEC gender work um, and follow us on OECD local, uh, on the Twitter, um, and indeed on the OECD Cogito blog, oecdcogito.blog. To listen to other OECD podcasts, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and soundcloud.com slash OECD.